morning, we want to continue in our theme walk this way. And we're challenging ourselves from 1 John 2, verse 16, that says, um, whoever abides in him ought to walk the same way he walked. Or as Neil uh, mentioned to us last week, um, message verse, anyone who claims to be intimate with God uh, ought to live the same kind of life live. Now, I don't want to be too loud. I don't want to waken the baby. But, uh, but uh, so, Ash, throw something at me if I'm too loud, will you? Because uh, 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 that sleep is precious, isn't it? That, that time we sleep at time. So if you two nod off and have a wee snooze now, now we're absolutely 100% that. Back to that, the, our thoughts. Anyone who, who wants to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life live. Quite challenging, isn't it, as we, as we think about that? And uh, so over the last couple of weeks, we have uh, looked at how we have treated others uh, in the light of that, how we've used, David shared with us, how we used uh, power, power in a, a positive way, the power that has been given to us as followers of Jesus. We looked on Easter morning, the way of hope, and that Jesus came and represented a new way in the midst of that. And then last week, we, we just looked as Jesus um, after his resurrection, how he treated uh, others, how he treated those followers, as, or as Neil encouraged us, those friends of his, when they doubted, when they walked in the opposite direction, how he came alongside and um, was able to, to listen to them and allow them to, to doubt. And, uh, and I thought it was really interesting, one of the readings from... Uh, yesterday's big ceremony where, where um, the, the life of Prince Philip was celebrated, one of the, the, one of the passages that he, he picked was um, so in order that we would have a robust faith that isn't afraid to doubt uh, at times or isn't afraid of doubt at times. How many times have we doubted ourselves and then disqualified ourselves because of that, because we didn't think we were good enough. But thankfully, in our lives, we've had friends, genuine friends, good friends who have walked alongside us and listened to our doubts, listened to our fears, allowed us to come out with those things and then uh, walk with us as we walk back into, um, walk back on, on the road again. Well, today I'd like to stir our thoughts around how we act as followers of Jesus. And uh, I learned it many years ago, uh, um, uh, Ronnie preached it many years ago, how we act comes from how we think. Your acting in life is, 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 is based upon your thinking process, believe it or not, and how we think. And then secondly, uh, um, and secondly how we act will determine the legacy uh, we leave behind us. Legacy is something, uh, the, the story that's told of your life uh, or, or something you leave behind after your time on this, then, uh, as we know it, is, is done. And we're thinking of all of this in, this in the context of anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life as Jesus lived. 
what a legacy he left behind for us. What, uh, and many others uh, along with him, but what a legacy, what an example. As I've said uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I did the chat with Neil, uh, over lockdown, what, I, what I've tried to do is to rediscover who Jesus is. And I've just taken the Bible and read it, tried to re read it afresh in the hope that I would start to imitate Jesus. And to be honest, over the last year, um, I didn't really live up to that too well. Maybe even over the last couple of days, I didn't uh, live up to that too well. But I have realized that how I act or react in moments of pressure are definitely influenced by my Jesus thinking or the lack of it. How I act or react in those moments is hinged on that. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading in Matthew chapter 16. I'm a slow reader. And uh, it's the story of Jesus and his disciples or his followers, as some people like to know it. Or um, as Neil explained with us last week, his friends. Uh, um, and Jesus has this wonderful exchange in that chapter with a guy called Simon, the son of John. And uh, basically, it starts out, Jesus has now been on his journey for a while. And he asks his disciples this question, who do you say I am? No, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Did you ever, have you ever been in one of those conversations where you've he heard such and such said, or I've heard it said, you know, the music's too loud in GCC. Or I've heard it said that, you know, this or that, or I've heard it said. And so Jesus keeps the question quite general. So he does. And they come back with all these uh, different answers. And then he says to them as they all gather back in, who do you say I am? Never mind what other people say, but who do you actually say I am? And, and, and this Simon, son of John, has this, this great answer. You are the son of God. This is an, a hooray moment for Jesus. Jesus is totally over the moon uh, with this, this answer from Simon, son of John. It's so much so, Jesus is so ecstatic about this. He says, come here, come here. I need to do something. Your name's going to be changed. And, and many things are going to be changed for you in life because you have got, if you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And from now on, your name is going to be called Peter. But what we forget, or sometimes I forget, is there's always another verse behind that. And there's always another verse and another verse. And so uh, we read straight after that, after he, J Jesus has this hooray moment, and Peter is, is, has been named as being this uh, great fella. We read that in verse 21, Jesus starts to predict what his death, what his end is going to look like. And so he explains to them, he'll go to Jerusalem and he'll suffer many things. And, um, and Peter, this guy who's had this big revelation, guess what he does? He takes Jesus to one side to have a chat with him. 
but not alone just to chat with him. He actually, the Bible records in one translation, he takes him aside to rebuke him. Or um, another version says he, he takes him aside to reprimand him. Imagine, imagine reprimanding Jesus. Imagine telling Jesus that you know better how he should think and how he should act. And Jesus sternly turns to Peter and says these words, get behind me, Satan. Get out of my way. Your thoughts are dangerous. Those are dangerous thoughts. Get out of my way. You have no idea how God works. And I suppose the one that challenged me, the translation that challenged me the most in the midst of this is, your thoughts are filled with man's viewpoint and not with the way of God. And these verses have brought me to a place to ask myself the question, is it possible to realize who Jesus is, to follow him, to listen to him, to be acquainted with his ways and his miracles, and yet not understand his thinking? Romans 12 sits open on my, my desktop in work. It has for the last few months. And uh, I've just allowed those words of Romans 12 for some reason. I've felt that it's just important for me to keep reading it over and over again. And verse 2 says, don't be a slave to this, to the, to, don't be a slave to this world's way of thinking. But have your mind transformed or renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop allowing your mind to be formed by the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you externally. And, and I just want to highlight it. I don't want to criticize these things. I just want us to be aware of it. Because we all probably are on one form or another of social media. Let me tell you that is, is shaping our thinking. The people in Silicon Valley know exactly what they're doing. They know so well what they're doing that they will not allow their children to be on any form of, of social media. It's a marketing, it's a shaping. Um, look, I'm not even qualified to speak about it. But I'm not saying you don't need to be on it. What I need, what I want to say myself as anybody else is we need to be careful what it's creating, how it's shaping our thinking. And th that verse in Romans 12 goes on to say is, why do we need our minds transformed? Why do we need this transformation of the Holy Spirit? The why is always important because, uh, because this will empower you to discern God's will for your life. Anybody want to know what God's will for their life is? Anybody want to know where he's leading and guiding? You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to transform my way of thinking so I can enter more fully into that. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things or things of the earth. And as I say, I really don't want to get off into rabbit holes here 
But a lot of what I see from the followers of Jesus and even the leaders of Jesus, especially over the last year, does match up to earthly thinking. But it doesn't match up to heavenly thinking. And I say that as much to myself as I do to uh, externally. Jesus' way of thinking was one, he, it was the way of love. He always demonstrated, he always acted through love. Two, it was living to serve others. Three, it was laying down his life. And four, it was only doing the will of the Father. There's not much of me and I in the midst of that, is there? There was not much of Jesus' own agenda in that. David mentioned last week as we started out uh, from that psalm, as we started out our time, we need to move a little beyond our childish thinking or our child ways of thinking, of being swayed backwards and forwards. You know, something that swayed backwards and forwards, and oh, swayed left to right, struggles to go forward. And, uh, and so we need to do that. And so that's uh, our thinking. And there's lots more that we can say about that. And I just want to open a conversation on that for us all. Be careful what is shaping your thinking. Is it scripture? Is it a true understanding of the way of Jesus that he demonstrated? Now, now, out of our thinking will come our acting. How do we act and react in those moments of pressure? In those moments when we need to make a decision one way or the other. What biases and insecurities will come to the surface in those moments? James 1, Jesus' brother, writes this. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom. And I, I heard this definition of wisdom years ago, and I always thought it was good. It's acting now in a way that in years to come, when you look back, you won't regret it. How many times have we acted in a way that as we look back on that, we think, wow, I didn't know why I acted that way, but I did. And it was the right way. And many, how many times have we acted in a way and then look back and go, why on earth did I say and act like that? Well, James says, uh, just like one of the songs that we sang, used this word, he says, we're to seek God for it. I know the NIV says we're to ask, but it's a greater word than ask. It's a stronger word than ask. We need to delve a wee bit more. And again, I want to use Peter as an example. He's a good way for me to see myself. So he is. Jesus had explained many times to these friends and followers who had been with him that um, what his life was about and what the end was going to look. And again, we come to a critical point in Matthew uh, 26. And um, Jesus had agonized all night in prayer. And we read the authorities are coming to arrest him and take him away. The betrayal has just happened. And as the mob steps forward, 
as this mob steps forward to, to arrest Jesus, we see this guy, Peter. Peter acts before he takes time to think. And all he needed to do was think about what Jesus had said. What did Jesus say? He said it was going to end this way. And uh, something rises within Peter in that moment where he feels he needs to act. He lifts one of the soldier's swords and he cuts off the ear of the official. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you know what? If I needed to defend myself, if I needed, I can defend myself. Uh, Okay. Peter, you're acting out of earthly thinking. You're acting out of your own insecurities. We read then with compassion, with love. Jesus, the Jesus way, he lifts the ear of the man and he corrects the wrong. He is is compassionate and kind even to those who would want to harm him. He demonstrates He just does not talk about loving your enemies. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. Do good to all, even those who oppress you, those who make mean you harm. And as I say, we can be so critical of Peter in this moment, but what would we do? How would we, how do, how do we react when it looks like all we've given our life to? our hopes to, our dreams of becoming, looks like it's going to end. The light is going to go out. It's going to be snuffed out. As I say, Peter feels he needs to give God a hand. He needs to give Jesus a hand. Imagine that. I think that's strange, isn't it? And yet we do the same ourselves. Oftentimes, we think we need to give Jesus a hand. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build it. It's not man's responsibility. But there is a responsibility for man. And I'll tell you that in a minute. What on earth? You're still thinking with a heavenly mindset, Peter. You've been with me. You've, you've, you've saw how I act, how I react. And you still haven't grasped it. You haven't taken time to listen, Peter. You've listened, but you haven't really listened. You didn't listen when I told you I've come to serve. Not to be served. I've come to serve. You didn't listen when I said I've come to lay down my life and give it for the betterment of others. My pleasure, you haven't listened when Jesus said, my pleasure is to do the will of the Father. I said earlier, there is a responsibility. Just a few seconds ago, there's a responsibility on us. And the responsibility comes from Matthew 22, where Jesus said, this is the commandment I give you. Love God and love others. Act in that way. Make it the, the, the story of your life. Love God and love others. And I, I just want to touch on this because um, 
because I have the opportunity to. But unfortunately, in the church today, there's far too much emphasis on loving ourselves. Now, I do get it. We need to understand that God has made us. And he has made us uniquely. And, um, and um, we need to love that. We need to love the way we have been formed and fashioned. But when that supersedes our love for God and our love for others, the balances are tipped in the wrong way. They're tipped in the wrong way. Now, do not deny God has made each one of us perfect. So he has. He has crafted each one of us. He has thought about us long before we even came onto this earth. He has purposes for us. He has plans for us. And uh, we've heard that over the years. Neil has done a fantastic job of sharing that. But it needs to move from self. Because if you continually to focus on self, you know what comes in the back door? Fear. Fear. It's a real harvest ground for fear. I did get one farming term in this morning. That was pretty good. Paul goes on to write in 2 Timothy to young Timothy. And we're talking about growing up in our faith. And he says to him in, in, in the second letter in chapter 3, he says this to him. He says, in the last days, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves more than they'll be lovers of God. They'll be, they'll be boastful. They'll love money. They'll, the, the love, they'll have a, a, a huge love for money. They'll be out of control. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of the things of God or the, or the ways of God, one translation says. And, and that challenges me. That really challenges me. Because when, when I think about it, when I think about someone who needs a visit, when I think about someone who maybe needs a phone call, as simple as a phone call, and it comes to a Friday night and I think, I'd like to sit down and watch this film. I've challenged myself with that. I've challenged myself all week with that. Is it my pleasures come first? Or do I think about others? You've walked all this time with me, and yet you still don't get my thinking. And if you don't get my thinking, when the times of pressure comes in, you'll not know, need, know how to act. I want to transition into legacy. And that's been a word that's been used all week, uh, especially on our news. Um, and there's two types of people where legacy, there's two thoughts of people when I, when I think of the word legacy. I think of the people who have left and left a great story behind them, of their kindness, of their love for others. And then I also think of the people um, who are creating a legacy as we speak, who are living their lives out this way that, that are, are living in such a manner that um, the ripples of what they will do, what they're doing now will filter down through generations. Those who genuinely give their lives to serve for the betterment of others. And I'm so glad that, that, that we have connection uh, in this place with people who, who live that way. In many different spheres of life, give of themselves 
sacrificially to serve others. Philippians 2 verse 7 is, has become a hugely sensitive verse to me. Um, Jesus was a king. Let's not deny that. He was a king. But he took on the nature of a servant. And, and I think we love the kingship. We really do. We love that that rises something within us. But he took on the posture of a servant. And Philippians 2 says this, he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. A lot of today's thinking isn't what I can what 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 I can do for others, but what others can do for me. How others are going to increase my status, my my following. And I'll, seriously, I could talk for ages on all that because it really winds me up a bit. Maybe because it's in me a bit too. I don't know. The church is very much about me and I, my salvation, my calling, my rights, my opinions, my needs, and even my faith. And, uh, and I'm just old enough. I'm old enough to have heard and seen the stories of how people have given themselves in the past uh, for the betterment of others. And we're still, as I say, we're still very fortunate that we live surrounded by people who continually to press into that way. It's not easy to press into that way, but who do? People who give of their time, their treasure, and their talent. And if you did a forensic examination of these people, these, so, these people I'm talking about, where their time, their treasure, and their talent is concerned, you will see that they will give their time and keep a little back for themselves. They'll give the majority. They'll give their treasure and just keep back what they need. They will give of their talents to help and to better otherwise. And if there was a forensic examination done of my time, treasure, and talents, Take, for example, again, Ronnie's very practical. If you took out my bank account and seen how much money I spend on me and how much money I spend on others, that's a good gauge of where you're at. And, and, uh, and I love hearing the stories of people who gave uh, sacrificially, and I, I want to be challenged by that. I know many people have many different views on Prince Philip. Uh, but the one word that, uh, and, and all that's happened during the week, but the one word that has been repeated over and over again uh, all week is that um, how he served. And he served unnoticed. It is a, a pet peeve of mine again. Someone has no sooner done a good deed till they want to get a picture on social media of somehow of this good deed that they have done. How did people function years ago? How did the great olds of the faith function? How did James O'Fraser function? He's one of my heroes of the mission and uh, of missionaries in the past. Unseen, unheard of, battled on 
without any congratulations, without any tap on the back, and just kept going on. Um, he was, the Duke was involved in some 800 charities, initiatives, or whatever you want to call them. And, uh, and uh, he just had this desire to, to help people. And I don't know whether that came from the difficult start he had and his family had in life. They say that he, he had this ability to think differently to his predecessors. And we're talking about thinking differently. And uh, as I say, that might have came from the difficulties he faced early on in his life. He served well. He used what had been given to him to help others, and he left a good legacy behind. And we, people will remember us in two ways. Two ways they will remember you. They will either remember the wrongs that you have done and you have done to them, the bad taste that you have left in someone's mouth, the way you have sucked the life and energy out of them, the way you have cut them down to their knees, or the second thing that they will remember, they will remember your kindness, and I want to say genuine love. And I have come to the conclusion, if we want to express genuine love, if we want to express that, it will cost you. Genuine love always costs. And so I've highlighted earlier how our, our thinking is being, being shaped by social media. I want you to take that home with you. If you want to express genuine love, it's taken me a while to, to let the penny drop on this. It's always going to cost you. Always. And I want to include the word always, if you didn't get me saying that. A couple of weeks ago, we finished, um, we finished our study on First Peter and um, in, in our midweeks. Again, a letter that's written, this is a different Peter to the other Peter. Um, but again, well, some say it is, some say it isn't. Uh, I saw Paul rolling his eyes at me. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, we finished that. And this is a letter to the scattered, um, to the scattered people. This letter was written to people who lived under extreme difficulties, socially, polit politically, and economically. Even their freedoms of living out their faith was being challenged. And Peter writes to these folk to encourage them and to advise them how to live in the midst of difficulties and trials. Some commentators would say it's a stronger word than advice. It's nearly like this is the posture you take on. Now, he doesn't urge them in their difficulties, in their trials, in their impressions in their being mistreated and all those things. He doesn't urge them to, um, he urges them, he doesn't urge them to form a protest. He doesn't urge them to start a campaign or write to the human rights uh, offices. He doesn't urge them post a video on the latest form of getting that information out and get, so, get as many people as you can to stand with you. 
He doesn't urge them to let everybody know how upsetting and how difficult this is. No, he urges them to be kind, to be considerate, to not repay evil for evil, to treat everyone fairly, to, co to continue to express uh, genuine love in spite of your own difficulties. Continue to invest in building a good legacy. And as you do this, let this be your fuel. Because that's difficult. That's difficult to do that. I understand how difficult it is when you're facing trials of your own. And, and, and you need to move beyond thinking of yourself. It's difficult. But keep these words in mind. This is what he says to them. Keep these words in mind. You are God's chosen people in this generation. So serve well, even to those who oppose you and mean you harm, and leave a good legacy. Why? Why should we leave a good legacy? He goes on to write, because in acting this way, earthly, uh, which isn't earthly thinking, it isn't normal thinking. If we act this way, you'll bring glory to God. People will see and fall in love with Jesus. Live countercultural lives. I often wondered what that phrase meant. Seemingly, it's very hip-hop. Hashtag live countercultural lives. Now, by journeying through some of this stuff, I've got a wee bit more of appreciation what it is to live countercultural lives. Paul's, I love the words of Paul, and I'm going to try and land this jumbo jet in 20 seconds. Is that okay? Paul's famous words in Acts 13, when he speaks of David, he says he served his generation well by acting out the ways of God. He was misunderstood many times. Many people challenged him on the views he took and the way he acted and what he did. But it's written of him in the New Testament, he served his generation well. Did he do this so great words would be spoken of him? Or did he do this because he got a glimpse of the heart and the purposes of God beyond earthly thinking? Have we got a glimpse of the purposes of God beyond what we surround ourselves or surra is surrounding us now? Paul, again, wants to write to uh, young Timothy. And so he wants to give him some critical advice as he feels his time is ending. And he's going to be passing this baton on to the next generation and it seems like Paul just wants to invest his life in this young man who, who there is just this call upon him. He says um, he wants to invest in him. And Paul is very aware of what following Jesus has cost him so far to this point. And he's probably very aware that following Jesus will, will cost him his life at the end. He says these famous words, I have fought the fight. I have ran the race. I have given myself, exhausted myself out to demonstrate the way of Jesus. And guess what? It's worth it all. 
It's worth every penny of it. It's worth every ounce of it. Serving others will cost. Loving others will cost. But for some strange reason, it's hugely rewarding. It's hugely rewarded. And so much so that government have now recognized uh, and they put it on leaflets as uh, over lockdown to, to uh, or even prior to that, um, to, to help enhance people's uh, mental health. Get involved in something outside of yourself. Give yourself to something other than your own needs all the time because it's hugely rewarding. And I just sense as I'm finishing here now, if we want to, if I want to walk the Jesus way, I'm challenging myself. If I want to serve him well and be part of a chosen generation that's going to leave a legacy that, that imitates that of Christ, then I need to think differently because I need to act differently and I need to serve in a different way. That verse in Romans says, allow your thinking to be transformed from the inside out, not the outside in. The end of that chapter, the result and, and, the, and the way that we probably can see how well we are doing on this journey is when the difficult times come. Romans 12, 21 says this. When the evil comes, when the evil comes against you, you'll be able to test how well you're getting on in this journey by seeing if you're going to overcome evil with good or overcome evil with demonstrating God's love. Thanks.